Good morning. It is good to be here, good to see you, or at least most of your faces. So uh, I recognize a lot of you, even with the masks. Uh, great to be here. Uh, Sue and I, thanks, Anthony, for your prayers for Sue, and thanks to many of you uh, because of her cancer and her being in a high-risk situation. We haven't been around people hardly at all since, since March, um, so this is refreshing for me to be in this context and be able to bring, bring the word to you. So as you've heard a lot uh, from Tommy already in the, the worship service, we're looking at this theme of weakness, and the passage today is 2 Corinthians 12, 1 to 10. So I'd encourage you to open your Bible, your device, or follow it on the screen as we read these verses. Um, one commentator calls this passage the, the peak, the pinnacle, the mountaintop of the whole book where Paul is pulling together so many of the ideas that he teaches throughout the book, a a really wonderful passage. So follow with me. I must go on boasting. Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body. I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. Though if I, if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities, For when I am weak, then I am strong. Amen. This is God's word. Well, let me begin by stating the obvious. 2020 is a rough, hard year. The kind of year that none of us, even people that are older like me, have never experienced in our lifetimes. It is a crazy year insane time, isn't it? Have you seen this t-shirt? I like this. It summarizes it. 2020 gets a one-star rating, which actually I think the one-star rating is too high, but it says very bad, would not recommend. This is a rough season of life, and I hate to tell you, but we still have four and a half months to go (laughs) till the end of the year. Uh, My mother's in her 90s. She lived through the Great Depression and World War II. 
very difficult periods, obviously, in the life of our country. And I said to her recently, Mom, this year must remind you of those hard times that you experienced during the Depression and World War II. And she said, oh, this is much worse. (laughs) What we're going through right now is much worse than the Depression or World War II. It is a tough year for all of us as we feel anxiety, as we feel pressure, as we feel weariness and fatigue and, and all kinds of things. And, you know, as we experience it, we might hope that we turn to the Scripture and, and that the Gospel would tell us the Lord promises us lives without weakness or without hardship or without calamity, like Paul talks about in the passage, but Scripture doesn't. What the Lord promises, though, is that he will give us the grace to endure the weaknesses and the hardships and everything else that we face in this world. So as we look at this amazing, wonderful passage, which I can hardly think of a better passage to look at during a year like this, I want us to look at the reality of the weaknesses we deal with, the source of those weaknesses, where they come from, but then what it means for the power of Christ to be manifested in the context of our weaknesses. So the reality of our weaknesses. Uh, Most of you know, as you've been part of this study this summer, that weakness is a big theme throughout the book. One example, chapter 1. The Apostle Paul is talking about how hard his experiences were that he was going through, and he said, we were at a point where we despaired of life itself. He said, we felt the sentence of death upon us. That's pretty intense. Now, he does say the Lord was at work teaching us to trust him, not ourselves. But, you know, this reality of weakness just frames this whole book. And then look at verse 10 in our passage here, where he talks about a number of these these weaknesses that he experienced. We're going to come back, by the way, and look at the thorn in the flesh which is a big part of the passage, but that'll be later. But look at this verse. He says, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content, or I delight in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. And that was certainly a description of Paul's life. He endured insults. Maybe you have endured insults for your faith, too, where people mock you and insult you. Or think you stupid because you're a follower of Jesus. Hardships, which are circumstances that we would never choose, whether it's health or economy or whatever, things that are beyond our control that we cannot change. Persecutions, Paul endured a lot of those. Our brothers and sisters around the world endure a lot of them, where we are mistreated or ridiculed or mocked for our faith. And then calamities. The dictionary defines a calamity this way, a disastrous event marked by a great loss and lasting distress and suffering. So what do you think? Do any of those words apply to 2020 in our lives? I mean, especially the word hardship, the words hardship, and calamities just jump off the page to me. 
And I think, oh my goodness, that's, that's what we're experiencing together, collectively, as a nation, as a world, as a worldwide pandemic. Uh, notice that when Paul refers to these things, these weaknesses that he's talking about are not primarily the internal battles that we have. You know, I'm struggling against my temptation to anger or bitterness or lust or whatever. He's talking about the things that come at us from the outside that we have no control over. The kinds of things that he experienced a lot in the previous chapter. If you've read that passage, he he talks about all the times he received 39 lashes. He was beaten. He was shipwrecked. He was uh, mistreated by people all over the place. So in the midst of what we're dealing with in 2020, in the midst of this pandemic and everything else, where are the stressors for you? Thinking about this list, my sense is I interact with people at Surge, in in the ministry I'm involved to interact with people in the church. My sense is that for many of us, the level of fatigue and weariness that many of us feel because of all that we're going through is intense. The level of anxiety about our jobs, about school, the challenges of doing school. Are we going to go back or not? Is it all going to be remote? The pressures on parents, teachers, and students are intense. As we react with great sadness and shock to the reality of racial injustice around us and reactions to that, as we experience all the anxiety related to the political turmoil of our country right now in an election year, as we experience the sadness and the heaviness over the reality of disease and suffering and death, as many of us still feel a great weight of heaviness over the loss of our dear brother and friend and colleague Mike Hollenbach a few weeks ago, and look at the reality of disease and cancer in the lives of others that we love. These are intense times. And all this anxiety about what what does the future hold that we can't predict? When will it end? Will it end? We don't even have distractions. A lot of your sports seasons have been canceled already. I mean, I know we can watch the Phillies playing in front of cardboard cutouts. (laughs) We can watch the Sixers if you want, but Ben Simmons is out for the season with, with knee surgery. And then, of course, to top it all off, we got the news this week that this year there will be no Penn State football. Talk about calamities. (laughs) Well, seriously, these, these are tough times. These are tough times, and I bet many of you feel weighed down by the kinds of things that I just mentioned. If we were in a small group right now, I'd take time and say, okay, you have a few minutes to write down what are the top three things that you're dealing with in your life so that you can think about those concretely to apply the truth of this passage to that. We can't do that in a large group, but maybe some of your home groups can do it this week. But here's my question for you about all that we're dealing with in light of this passage. Could it be that the Lord is up to something unique in our lives, in our world, in His church? In the midst of all of this, 
Could it be that the Lord is speaking to us in a unique way? You know that famous C.S. Lewis quote where he says, God whispers to us in our pleasures, but he shouts to us in our pain. It's his megaphone to speak to the world. And I believe that in many ways, if we will hear his voice, the Lord is speaking loudly and clearly to us at this time. And I hope we can unpack a little bit of that as we look further at this passage. Okay, well, let's turn to the question of where all these weaknesses and trials come from. Um, and we're looking specifically now at the thorn in the flesh part of the passage. Uh, you know, a, a little bit of background at the beginning of the passage that we read. Paul talks about this ecstatic, amazing experience where he, he's, he's talking about himself, speaking in third person, was lifted up to paradise to the third heaven. And he saw and experienced things that can't, can't even be described. And he was really uh, blessed by that in an amazing way. John Calvin said, Paul received that for his own sake because he was a man who had awaiting him troubles hard enough to break a thousand hearts. That's what awaited Paul. Troubles that were enough to break a thousand hearts. All the trials that he went through as he served the Lord. So that was given to him as a great gift. But as with many of the Lord's gifts, sometimes when we receive a great gift, there are also dangers and temptations connected to it. And Paul understood that. And so he explains about the thorn in the flesh here in verse 7, where he says this. So to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. This thorn in the flesh, we don't know exactly what it was. My inclination probably was some kind of physical ailment or disease. It was something that was very hard for Paul. He didn't like it. He wasn't happy to have it. He prayed passionately three times that the Lord would take it away. Does that remind you of anything? Jesus in Gethsemane, praying that the Lord would take the cup away. And he got this message back from the Lord, no, I won't take it away because there's a purpose in it and I want to use it for your good. But where does it come from ultimately? I mean, here's the, a bit of a mystery in the passage, but let me try to explain it. Because he calls the thorn in the flesh a messenger of Satan. So was it from the enemy? Well, yes. But was it under the Lord's control? Absolutely. It's just like the story of Job. Remember, the Lord allowed Satan to bring all kinds of suffering into Job's life. But what he did with Job is the same thing he did with Paul in this passage. He turned Satan's plans on their head. Satan wanted to destroy Job's faith. He wanted to destroy Paul's faith. And actually, the Lord did the opposite. He made both of them stronger to trust in the Lord more. And that gives us great comfort to know, as we live through hardships, calamities, and everything else that we're going through, that the Lord is sovereign over it all. Even when Satan is involved, the Lord is sovereign over him. In Paul's case, 
He knew that the Lord was using it to deal with his temptation to pride. Here's another C.S. Lewis quote, a great one, from Mere Christianity. The essential vice, the utmost evil, is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. And Paul is saying, I know that the Lord has given me this thorn in the flesh so that I wouldn't drift in that direction. A complete anti-God state of mind. Uh, In ancient Rome, they had amazing victory parades after they won big military victories. And they would have parades through, through the city of Rome, sort of like our Super Bowl celebration for the Eagles a few years ago. And the victorious general would be in a chariot, and there'd be thousands of people honoring him and cheering him and shouting, and it was an amazing experience. But even the Romans understood the danger of pride because often that general would have a servant in the chariot with him, and the job of that servant was to say to him throughout the parade, remember, you too are mortal." Remember, you two are mortal. Don't let this go to your head. Paul is saying, I've been given this thorn in the flesh that is like the voice on my shoulder saying, remember, you too are mortal. That it's not about me. It's about the Lord. And I want to honor him. And I want to serve him. And I want to put him first. So he says to him, yes, my grace will be sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. The Lord is in control of all these things. Here's two wonderful quotes. I wish we had time to unpack them. We don't. But John Newton said, everything is necessary that God sends our way. Nothing can be necessary that he withholds. Johnny Erickson Tata, as you know, has lived her entire life as a quadriplegic, said, sometimes God allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. The Lord doesn't rejoice in our suffering. He weeps with us, he's sad with us, and yet he uses these trials and these hardships and these calamities for our good and for our growth. Well, let's turn then to consider what does it mean to have Christ's power displayed in us in the midst of our weaknesses? This passage talks a fair bit about boasting, and it's against the backdrop of the, the false apostles who were in, in Corinth boasting that they were better than Paul and all the rest. And, you know, if Paul wanted to play their game, he had a lot of things he could have boasted in. He could have said, I've led more people to faith, I've planted more churches, I've had more visions, I've performed more miracles, and to top it off, I've written a number of letters that are in the Bible. How's that for a resume? <laughs> you know... He could have boasted about those kinds of things, but he doesn't. Why? Look at what he says in these verses here. On my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weaknesses. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. When we boast with each other, We talk about our accomplishments and successes, and I made this great sale at work, and our team won the championship, or whatever it is. Often we're trying to find our identity 
in those successes and achievements, right? Paul is saying, I'm not going to do that. Because whatever I do, it's because of the grace of God. I am what I am by the grace of God. And I will only boast in him. Because anything I do that's good is Jesus working in me. Or like he says in Galatians, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. That's what I'll boast in. I will boast in what Jesus did for me at the cross, not in what I do. So how does all of this help us when we ask all the why questions as we go through hard times? Why is my life not working? Why are things so hard? Why is this pandemic going on so long? Why am I stuck in a bad marriage? Why do we have infertility problems? Why can't I find a spouse? Why did I lose my job? You know, we have all kinds of questions, right? As we live through hard times. I believe the Lord wants us in the midst of all those things, no matter what they are, to turn to him and say, Lord, I want to trust you in the midst of all these things that I cannot understand because I believe that you love me. I believe that you are on the throne. I believe, I want to believe. Help me to believe. Help, help me in my unbelief. I want to believe that your grace is sufficient. Like Paul says here in this verse, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. I want to believe that you are using all of this somehow for my good so that I will grow to be the person you want me to be. Some of you have heard of Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, a psychiatrist who studied uh, the dynamics of grief and wrote a lot about it. And I love this quote of hers, talking about beautiful people. She said, "The the most beautiful people are the ones who have known defeat, known suffering, known struggle, known loss, and have found their way out of those depths. I think what this passage is saying is that the Lord wants to make us, make you as his follower, a beautiful person through the weaknesses, through the insults, through the hardships, through the persecutions, through the calamities. He wants to make you the beautiful person that you are designed to be, And sadly, it's not going to happen without all these hard things. But the Lord knows how to use them and use them for his glory. So this is an amazing passage, an amazing letter about weakness, about strength coming out of weakness. Obviously, ultimately, it points us to the the ultimate demonstration of weakness in the history of the world was when our Redeemer, who created everything in whom all things hold together, when he came into this world and willingly became weak for us, willingly endured insults, persecutions, hardships, and calamity for us, who became the victim of the most horrendous miscarriage of justice in the history of the universe, so that he could bear the 
the weight of the wrath of God for us so that we might share in his victory. That is the hope that we have, that strength comes out of that ultimate demonstration of weakness as we we trust in him. Here's the way Tim Keller puts it about suffering. So suffering is at the very heart of the Christian faith. It is not only the way Christ became like and redeemed us, but it is one of the main ways we become like him and experience his redemption. And that means that our suffering, despite its painfulness, is also filled with purpose and usefulness. Towards the end of the the last book of The Lord of the Rings, there's a very moving scene where Sam and Frodo come to the end of themselves as they're trying to fulfill this mission of getting the ring to Mount Doom so that it, it can be destroyed. And Frodo, who carries it, can't even take another step. And Sam now, his friend, has fallen into despair. There's a very moving passage where where Tolkien describes a transformation that comes over Sam in the midst of that. And it says, Sam Gamgee felt through all his limbs a thrill as if he was turning into some creature of stone and steel that neither despair nor weariness, nor endless barren miles could subdue. And he receives this new strength out of his despair and weakness. And he says, come, Mr. Frodo, I can't carry it for you, but I can carry you. Come on, Mr. Frodo, Sam will give you a ride. It's a beautiful picture of strength coming to to him in the midst of his weakness and despair. And I think that's a beautiful picture of what the Lord wants to do in us and for us in the midst of all that we're dealing right now. Let me just tell you one thing in closing. There's a a columnist named Nicholas Kristof who writes for the New York Times. He's an avowed agnostic, but he is fascinated with believing Christians. And over the years, he has written a number of columns in, in the context of disasters, disaster relief and crises, where he essentially says... Over and over, Christians are usually the first ones to show up, the last ones to leave, and those who give most generously of their time and their money in times of great need and crisis. And I think it's wonderful that he says it, that he observes it, and I think something's going on in in him. But my question is this. What is Nicholas Kristof going to be able to say about the Christian church in 2020 in terms of our response to all these needs around us. My prayer is that by God's grace and strength, we will rise to the occasion, as we sometimes have in the past, and that we will love and serve others sacrificially. It might be in small ways with your next-door neighbor or big ways as we respond to the needs around us. May God do that so that others will see the beauty and the power and the, and the wonder of Christ at work in us and through us. Amen? When I'm weak, then I'm strong, Paul says. So I accept these things and pray that the Lord will use them for his glory. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy and kindness. Thank you for this day. And we pray that you would give us hope in the midst of all that we are battling with. These are tough times. We all acknowledge that, but we pray for your goodness 
for your power, for your grace to rest upon us, and that you'd work in us and through us during these days. We pray in your name. Amen.